From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, the Biden administration unveiled their new rules for the COVID shot mandate. One for private businesses with more than 100 employees, another one for health care workers working in facilities receiving either Medicare or Medicaid funding. This comes despite the administration bragging that upwards of 70 percent of Americans are already vaccinated. How will Congress respond? We'll talk with Tennessee Congressman Dr. Mark Green in just a moment. As the rule is rolling out, Republican state leaders are vowing to fight the mandate. What do they plan to do? We'll talk with Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita, and we'll also hear from Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. They're teaming up to fight the mandate. And more fallout from yesterday's election results. What went wrong? What went wrong was just stupid wokeness. All right, you just, don't just look at Virginia and New Jersey. Look at Long Island. Look at Buffalo. Look at Minneapolis. Even look at Seattle, Washington. I mean, just defund the police lunacy to take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean, that people see that. And it, 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 it's, it's just really a, have a suppressive effect all across the country. The Democrats, some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. That was Democratic strategist James Carville, a fellow Louisianian who, uh, well, he's got a lot to tell the Democrats. And we're going to talk about it with FRC Action's Brent Kylan a little bit later. Nowhere has the wokeism been more evident than in education, and congressional Republicans promised to take it head on. This is our answer to the left's attempt to nationalize education. No. No to leftist indoctrination, no to critical race theory, and no to identity politics. That uh, is the that was the Republican just today. That was uh, Congresswoman. Uh, Fox talking about the Republicans taking this issue head on. We're going to talk about that with Missouri Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler a little bit later. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me again remind you to mark your calendars coast to coast, border to border. We will pray together for life on November the 28th. To find out more about that, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's 67742, the word TOGETHER, and you'll have the information on how you can be a part of it. Well, we've been waiting for nearly two months, and now it's here. This morning, the Biden administration announced the new rule issued by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, to require employers with more than 100 employees to force their workers to get the COVID shots or get tested for the virus at least once a week. And the deadline for businesses to comply is January the 4th. That date is also the deadline for employees of federal contractors and healthcare workers at facilities participating in Medicare and Medicaid to be fully vaccinated as well. With me now to talk about these new rules, which will affect tens of millions of workers across the country, is Congressman Mark Green, who is a decorated combat veteran, ER physician, and a successful business leader. He has uh, stepped off the House floor to join us this afternoon by phone. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Tony, thanks for having me on the show. All right. You've worn a number of hats that give you various perspectives to speak to this. As after your service in the Army, you founded an emergency department staffing company that provided staffing to 52 hospitals across 11 states. What will these new rules mean for small businesses and for healthcare care facilities? 
Well, they're going to be devastating because there is a percentage of our population that has chosen not to get the vaccine. They have that right as far as I'm concerned. And so you take 10 percent of your workforce. Let's say it's 10 percent in many uh, industries. It is some it's higher. Um, I mean, you just can't take that business hit. So if you do the the, the penalty, that's fourteen thousand dollars per employee. And that's devastating uh, to a business. So it's it's just uh, it's really a crazy idea. And you mentioned tens of millions. It's actually going to affect one hundred and four million people in America. Uh, let's talk about those fines for just a moment, because in the previous reconciliation bill, uh, there was a provision that uh, increased OSHA's fines tenfold, uh, which would bankrupt a company overnight. Is that right. in this latest version of the reconciliation bill? So the reconciliation bill, we don't have the latest text. And honestly, she's whipping on the floor right now. They added seven votes this afternoon to try to get, um, you know, to sway those last six or eight so that she can then uh, bring the big package together to the floor today. I don't know whether she's successful or not, but I mean, that's that's what they're doing at this moment. And the new language is sort of still uh, sequestered, if you will. Um, my gut says it's still going to be in there. I, and I know you're standing uh, in, in the House cloakroom right off the House floor, and you may have to go and vote. So if they call for the votes, just let me know. And, and we certainly understand that our listeners do as well. Um, so it, the likelihood is, as I was talking with Kevin Brady last night, we didn't have a final number on what this was going to cost. Is it very likely that they'll be voting on a bill before they've even had a chance to look at it? Absolutely. They, they seem to like to do that um, and just surprise, them, surprise themselves. But the most recent uh, version of the bill was scored by the University of uh, Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business, and they said it's going to cost at least twice what the Democrats are saying it's going to cost. Earlier today, the CDC director, uh, Dr. Walensky, testified before the Senate Health Committee on Biden's, uh, the administration's COVID-19 response. She was asked about the release of OSHA's workplace vaccination policy, and this is what she had to say. We know the most disruptive thing in a workforce is to have a COVID outbreak and to have workers in that workforce come down with COVID infection, severe disease, and in some cases, death. Um, Vaccination, as we have seen, decreases your risk of infection by sixfold, decreases your risk of hospitalization and death by tenfold, even during this Delta surge. So there is absolutely a public health priority to get people vaccinated and to continue the important prevention and mitigation strategies, including masking, to keep them safe. So, Congressman Green, why are we not having a conversation of all the facts? Why are they not talking about natural immunity and factoring that into the discussion here? Listen, the CDC has, uh, you know, failed America, to be completely honest with you. They are relying on observational studies that have no control group to, when, it, when it aligns with their – and a sample size of 60 or 70 when it aligns with their political view. And then they're disregarding randomized controlled trials, which are much better, much 
uh, more scientific when, with a sample size of over thousands, and they, they ignore those when it when it uh, violates their their narrative. I the, the, one of the biggest problems with COVID is the loss of trust in America's scientific yeah. methods, and uh, and and that is a tragedy. We've discovered what I call the authoritarian bias. Uh, in medical research now, those that want to enforce their authoritarianism on others, it, it biases studies. And of course, there's the anti-Trump bias. If Trump says it, uh, then obviously they're you know they're going to find a study not to not to support it. So um, this new uh, poison in our scientific systems has really hurt America. Yeah, I, I actually wasn't going to go there, but I, as a doctor, I want to ask you that question. You being the doctor, me not. Uh, as uh, you being a doctor, are you concerned about the long-term implications of this distrust because we've politicized a health issue? Sure. You take the mask decision by the, uh, you know, the Democrat Party here in the House. Honestly, it motivates people not to take, not to take the vaccine in this case because people go, well, if I take the vaccine, I still have to wear a mask. And that's what they're communicating. And I think they're doing more harm that way than, you know, us not wearing masks. And I'm a physician. I make decisions based on risk and benefits. And, uh, you know, I think that the long term effects of that are profound. Let's talk for just a moment about uh, last week. We've seen now this vaccination has uh, the shot has been approved for uh, children. Uh, We fully anticipate that this is going to lead to mandates for children. Now, unlike other vaccines where we've had longitudinal studies where we've been able to see the implications, the impact, the effect, the effectiveness of these, we've not had this. Um, Are you concerned about the mandates coming there? You know, my frustration is it goes back to that how we make decisions as as a doctor. You make decisions based on risk and benefit. And if you're let's say you're 60 years old, I'm I'm 57 uh, on Monday, right? Uh, so I am. I have a higher risk of COVID than I do the vaccine. So it's wise for me to take the vaccine. There aren't enough studies in children, I think, to show the risk-benefit ratio. And we know the mortality for children is almost zero. In fact, it, you know, statistically is zero. Um, just about if um, if they have no comorbidity. So what we're doing is is we're we're adding some risk where uh, you know the risk of COVID is just almost zero. You're listening to Washington Watch, uh, joining me by phone off the House floor, Congressman Mark Green of uh, Tennessee, uh, ER doctor. Uh, So what is Congress's response? Uh, Look, I know the Republicans are in the minority, but will there be any effort to to roll back this mandate? So obviously we're going to push, we'll file bills, but it's very unlikely that the left is going to do anything. They, They can't learn from a trouncing that happened, and I know you're going to talk about this later in your show, but they just seem to double down on everything that caused them to lose all across this country on Tuesday. Um, So I don't expect a change from them. Uh, We'll continue to fight it, but uh, it's unlikely that as long as they're in control, uh, anything's going to happen differently. Well, uh, Congressman, again, thank you for being generous with your time. I know you're on the uh, right off the House floor. You've got to vote. I'm on the clock, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Take care, Tony. Thank you. All right. Congressman Mark Green, uh, great guy, um, Army veteran and doctor who understands these issues. And, and again, I agree with him on you look at the risk. 
if you're at risk, you're a high-risk category, you look at the vaccine, yes, it's new, it's not completely tested, there are some complications with it, you need to look at that, you need to have a conversation with your health care provider, your doctor, and then you make that decision. Maybe you uh, are not in a high-risk category. No, no underlying issues that would put you at risk. You know what? You probably don't want to do it, uh, especially as you look at the, the younger people. Or you've had it. You've got natural immunity. Those are not the conversations that are taking place because the government has pushed forward this mandate. It was interesting that this deadline was moved to January the 4th. We talked about this, uh, I think, last week on the program where business interests were here lobbying uh, the White House to push this beyond the holiday so it wouldn't disrupt holiday sales and the retail industry. Well, that's going to be great for them, but not so good for their employees because those employees come uh, the first of the year who have not surrendered, capitulated, and gotten this shot, whether they needed it or not, uh, are going to be out of a job. Now, we're going to talk about uh, this coming up next. We're going to be joined uh, by Indiana Attorney General Rakita. He, we're going to talk about what the state, what the states are going to be doing, and they're already lining up. In fact, I fully expect to see lawsuits filed tomorrow. We're going to talk about that. Also, we're going to be uh, joined a little bit later by the Attorney General of the State of Ohio, Dave Yost. Uh, Ohio's taking action as well. So this is far from done. Of course, I, it's being structured to make it difficult for the states to push back, but the states will push back. But again, in the end of the day, you need to make the decision that's in the best interest for yourself and for your family and your loved ones. Again, evaluate all the risk. If you need the shot, get the shot. If you don't, you make that decision. It's yours to make. And we need to keep it that way here in America. It's what makes America unique. Stick with us. We're coming back with more after this. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, 
marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host again, to find out how you can be a part of our Pray Together for Life event on November the 28th in Jackson, Mississippi, the epicenter of the Dobbs case. That is the case that will go to the heart of Roe v. Wade. To find out how you can be a part of it, text the word TOGETHER, TOGETHER to 67742. That's 67742. Pray Together for Life, November the 28th. You don't want to miss it. Earlier this morning, as we mentioned, the Biden administration published its new emergency temporary standard for companies with more than 100 employees. And the pushback was strong and fast. I said that there would be lawsuits tomorrow. Well, they were today. The attorney generals of Ohio, Kentucky and Tennessee filed their lawsuits against the administration. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem announced uh, via a Twitter video that her administration would join a lawsuit against the mandate. The Republican National Committee said it would sue the administration. And my next guest has announced three separate lawsuits. Joining me now is Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. Todd, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be with you. I wish it was on some different subject. <laughs> well, I mean, they're coming left and right from this administration. Or I should say left and left. Um, tell us about the three lawsuits that you will be filing. Well, you know, this breaks down a couple different ways, three different ways, at least for us here in Indiana. First is the OSHA rule that you've described. Uh, we are we, we now have that rule. Remember, this was September 9th when President Biden said he threatened all of us and said it was coming. And for these two months, basically, he's been intimidating the American workforce, certainly us here in the Hoosier state. Uh, and, and perhaps even duped people into getting vaccines before the rule even came out. Oh, well, now we have it. So uh, my, my, my brother and sister are attorneys general, the like-minded ones at least, are all in different ways filing lawsuits. And uh, our, ours is going to be in the Seventh Circuit, with, with, which uh, sits in Chicago. And um, the other attorneys general filing their own, as you've been reporting. Uh, other states are joining together in groups. So that's the first one. We are going to fight back and ask not only the 7th District, but ultimately probably the Supreme Court to stay this Biden-OSHA rule, because this isn't a workplace issue. You know, we've had this virus around for years now, literally. It's so much more than the workplace, and it's decreasing 
uh, all the time, by the way. Uh, but it's in our houses, our churches, it's it's in our schools. It's 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 becoming, for better or worse, part of our lives. And and the, to use the OSHA law to try to mandate uh, this egregious and insidious um, uh, requirement is is uh, just too much. It, a lot of it's been too much. But uh, we think we have a great uh, legal ground to stand on there with the first suit for sure. Well, let me let me ask you about that with the OSHA. Uh, just the process by which it was adopted. They use the emergency temporary standard. And I think you could argue that at this point, we have neither an emergency nor is this temporary in terms of needing them to take this shortcut to put this rule in place. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. It's still the, the same old game that they've been playing for at least 10 months now, but the left has been working decades on this, and that is how much more can we chip away at your liberties and freedoms? You know, the lawmakers are the ones uh, that are supposed to do the lawmaking, and only because we put them there. They're directly responsible and accountable to us, we the people. And, and, and these leftists continually try to flip that on its end. And, you know, that's what we fought a revolutionary war over. That's why we have these great timeless documents in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution to say to the world for the first time ever uh, that the best ideas for self-governance are ones where the people are in charge and the government is subject to us, not, you know, right. not that we're subjects of the king. And so this is just another and the latest example of them, of them unwinding what really is American exceptionalism. So there's a lot of different fronts we fight on. And don't forget about the second and third suit that we have. Uh, federal contractors under a different rule um, are going to be subject. They don't even have a choice like private employees, over 100 employees would, where it's a vaccine or a test. And by the way, how, think about the feasibility of a test. Are we, are we even going to have enough testing kits to even cover the choice? But under the federal contractor suit, they don't have a choice. If you work for the federal government in some kind of contractual relationship or your business does, uh, you don't even get a test. You just have to be vaccinated as if you were, in fact, a federal employee. So we're going to be joining great friends in Louisiana and Mississippi uh, to sue on that front. And that and that lawsuit, if not already uh, filed, should be filed um, uh, eminently. So eminently. So. Uh, General Ricky, let me ask you a couple of questions. Going back to the, the first suit where you're filing in the 7th District and we have uh, other states filing in different districts, is a part of the strategy to move this through different circuits uh, so that we are putting pressure on the Supreme Court to take this case? Well, you know, we, let, let me just say this, Tony. We, uh, the, the attorneys general, uh, know how to use our phones. We know how to use our keyboards. Uh, we, we, we're coordinating for the best interests of our states, first and foremost. But the best resolution is the one you describe, where the Supreme Court uh, weighs in on this way before uh, January 4th, right. when, when, when this, again, this insidious and egregious rule would otherwise go into effect. So there is uh, definitely um, a strategy to get this heard by the highest court as soon as practical. Before we run out of time, uh, General, give us the third lawsuit. Right. So now we have the uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services, and they want to uh, require every healthcare worker who provides services that are covered by Medicare or Medicaid to um, uh, to be vaccinated as well. So you'll see 
again, Indiana uh, join with Louisiana, Mississippi, perhaps some other states to fight against that particular mandate as well. And uh, again, that covers in itself millions of workers. We already have a healthcare shortage right. with millions of workers probably going to retire or not put up with this. Uh, you're going to have a, a, a real serious shortage in terms of delivery of services. And again, it's a, it's a good lawsuit in the sense that we fought this battle before in the Sebelius case uh, with Obamacare. It's a direct attack on state sovereignty and ability uh, to carry out its own, its own policies. Well, we'll be watching these uh, very closely because a lot is at stake in the outcome of uh, these suits and stopping this mandate. General, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. You bet. Thank you. All right. Uh, Attorney General Rokita from Indiana, fighting the good fight. All right. Coming up, we're going to take another look at uh, how and why education played such a key role in the Virginia governor's race. A little bit later, we'll be joined by the Attorney, Attorney General of Ohio, Dave Yost. We'll continue our conversation on the mandate. But coming up next, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler of Missouri joins us. So don't go away. More to come. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. To uh, be a part of our Pray Together for Life event, November the 28th. Find out more. Text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's 67742, the word TOGETHER. And we'll get more information to you so you can be a part of that. All right, we talked about this uh, yesterday, how education 
was that, well, I mean, actually we've been talking about it for quite some time, about how education was really at the center of the gubernatorial election and really catapulted uh, Glenn Youngkin to victory in the Virginia's governor's race. Now, the, the left is saying, oh, it's a big lie. It, this was all made up. It's not a real issue. But here, I want to commend the Republicans in Congress uh, collectively. Of course, there's many individuals that do a great job. But collectively, I have to give it to them because they immediately made clear education is a real issue that matters. And, and uh, yesterday, uh, they held a press conference uh, Virginia Fox, Congresswoman from uh, North Carolina, who is the ranking member on the Committee on Education and Labor, uh, commented on the left's attempts to radicalize education. Uh, play clip six. This is our answer to the left's attempt to nationalize education. No. No to leftist indoctrination, no to critical race theory, and no to identity politics. Republicans believe that policy, believe in policies that unite us, not divide us. We know that education is at its best when run locally and when parents have choice. That is what we are fighting for. Again, that was Congresswoman Virginia Fox of North Carolina, the ranking member on the Committee on Education Labor. Uh, during the press conference yesterday. Well, joining me now to talk more about this, someone who knows a lot about education, but also about fighting the good fight, is Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, former public school teacher who now represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congresswoman, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks, Tony. It's great to be here. And I know you are off the House floor waiting in the middle of votes, so if you have to go, we our listeners completely understand it. We had uh, Congressman Green on a little bit ago, so we know where, what you're up to. What should be the takeaways from Election Day with regard to the issue of education? Well, parents deserve to be heard, and they are the best arbiter of their children's education. And uh, I am so proud of the parents of Virginia who stepped up and said uh, no, no to the critical race theory and no to identity politics, just like Virginia Fox said, and said yes to parental control uh, over the education of their children. And the school board. Uh, serve the families of that community, and they should listen to them. And yet we had the uh, Democrat candidate for governor who had the audacity to say that parents don't have any right uh, to govern what is taught in the classroom. It's, it's ludicrous. And I'm just glad that the parents of Virginia stepped up and said, no, uh, we deserve a governor who respects who we are, who understands that we should be teaching the ABCs and not the CRT. Uh, we need to be focusing on true academic uh, achievement and not indoctrination in our schools. Is this one of those situations of the left's overreach? I mean, they've been slapping down parents saying that CRT is not being taught in the schools. In fact, uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe made that claim when, in fact, the Virginia Education uh, Department's own website shows how the teachings of critical race theory are being placed into the Virginia schools. Uh, you've got this, the FBI, the DOJ, wanting to crack down on parents. Uh, is this a case of that classic overreach? Absolutely. I mean, the thought that the Biden administration and the Department of Justice wants to pull the full weight of the federal government against ordinary moms and dads who just want to have input into their child's education is, is frightening. Uh, and I, I think Americans uh, recognize that and that there's no place for the federal government to be coming in and doing that and to to portray them or to 
give acquiescence to what uh, the National School Board Association was implying in their memo that parents who simply give input in their school board meetings are domestic terrorists and give credence to that by sending out a memo to all your local FBI offices uh, saying that we need to you know, set up a system to monitor and to take care of these problem parents is, is, truly, is truly frightening. Uh, education should be a local level. Parents should be listened to. And we need the federal government out of our school. You know, I, I don't know if you were, but I was certainly surprised and encouraged how quickly the Republican leadership stepped forward in Congress saying, hey, this is a priority issue. We're going to address it. Oh, it, it has been uh, you know, near and dear to all of us Republicans' hearts, uh, local control and, and parental rights and high-quality education. And it's been very concerning, and especially uh, my background as a teacher and as a, as a mother, uh, to see the move of so many liberals in education, that they want the parents to, to stay out, to stay at home, not have any input. We are the experts, and we're going to indoctrinate your children. We're going to get away from teaching academics and start teaching this social, mental theories and things that uh, fall in line with our woke mentality and, and turn your children into little uh, woke robots. And uh, parents of this country know that that is wrong, uh, and they're taking back control. So I'm proud of them. And it's encouraging, and I think this is going to carry over into the next elections uh, in 2022. So that's, uh, to me, that's good news when we have citizens involved to the degree that we're seeing them right now. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzer, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for stepping off the House floor to talk to us today. I'm glad to do it. Take care. All right, uh, another champion for faith, family, and freedom. In fact, she's the, I uh, didn't mention this, but she's the chair of the Values Action Team in the House, uh, an entity that uh, FRC helped stand up uh, a long time ago. All right, don't go away. We're going to come back. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Attorney General Dave Yost in Ohio to talk more about what Ohio is doing to fight the mandate. Then we'll be talking with uh, Brent Kylan, FRC Action as well. So a lot more to come. Don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media. 
even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students, are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, let me invite you to join us on November the 28th, Pray Together for Life. We're going to be having a nationwide event, 7 p.m. Central Time in Jackson, Mississippi. To find out more about how you can be a part of the event, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's 67742, the word TOGETHER. As we discuss at the top of the program, the Biden administration has finally, after about two months, finally published its new emergency temporary standard. You could argue it's not an emergency anymore. Uh, But this is to require employees with 100 or more, uh, employers rather, with 100 or more employees to force them to get the COVID shot or get tested for the virus at least once a week. And not surprisingly, numerous lawsuits were quickly filed against the administration, including one by the attorneys general of Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. And more are on the way. I think a lot more. Joining me now to talk about the backlash we're seeing is the attorney general of the state of Ohio, Dave Yost. General, welcome back to the program. It's good to see you, Tony. So you have filed one of the lawsuits. Tell us about it. The the lawsuit will actually drop technically tomorrow morning after it's been published by the uh, Federal Register, the regulation. But the bottom line is this mandate uh, completely oversteps the power that the president uh, is given under the Constitution. The president is not our Danny, not our doctor, and the president is not Congress. He doesn't get to write laws. Is the new rule, and I know it it hasn't been completely published, but they've told us what's in it, uh, is it more or less what you expected? So they're misusing a a very arcane little provision in the OSHA law. OSHA, many of your viewers will remember, is the set of regulations to make sure that workplaces are healthy and safe. Uh, They 
cover things like if there's a catwalk uh, on a floor, you've got to have a, a railing to keep people from falling off. If there's a chromium pit or an acid vat, there are safety requirements to keep people from getting hurt or even dying. But the key is these things are typically part of the workplace. Uh, they're not at your home. They're not at the shopping mall. They're at work, and they're specific to work. This use of workplace regulation to control a an infectious disease that's everywhere on the planet, not just at work, uh, is a, a, an incredible overreach. It's a, they're stretching this law to the point where it's going to break and shatter. Now, in this um, rule where employees can be given the opportunity to test in lieu of getting the shot, that is the employees that work in companies that have over 100 employees, um, they have to pay for that. Uh, is that a is that an unfunded mandate being placed on, on citizens? And then businesses are, are going to be forced to let people get off to get the shot. And then if they have negative consequences related to that, they have to give them time off. Tony, that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, it, it's wonderful if you're making $100,000 a year and you have to pay for a test twice a week. But what about the folks out there that are you know, scraping by, trying to raise a family on 12 or $15 an hour. Maybe their spouse is working too. This is a major impact. If you tried to raise taxes by that amount every year on somebody, there would be outcry from one end of this country to the other. Um, but because it's being done as a mandate, um, I guess that they think that that's okay. I don't. I was just talking with uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Todd Rakita, from your neighboring state of Indiana earlier in the program, and, and they're preparing to file three lawsuits. Um, many states, Republican-led states, are filing. It's, it it kind of reminds me of a blitz uh, coming from different circuits. Are you optimistic that this is going to prompt the Supreme Court to take this and potentially deal with it before the January 4th deadline? I'm confident that the federal courts will deal with this, and I think our case is very good to get an injunction. Whether it reaches the Supreme Court or not um, by that point is uh, probably a little bit unlikely. I guess it depends on the posture of the pleadings. Um, but look, if we think back to the Trump administration, uh, some of my colleagues across the aisle sued Trump every time he sneezed. Right. And they got these injunctions uh, in place, and they lasted sometimes for years. Well, let me go back to the, the fact that you, you're filing in different circuits. It would be very easy, I would think, that you're going to get a split decision. You're going to get... Uh, you know, one circuit is going to view it favorably. I can see the, fa the Fifth Circuit looking at this favorably and saying, nope, no, no mandate, we're going to put a stay on this. I can see that maybe the Second District and some of the others maybe not being so favorable to this. Uh, so then you have a split. What then determines the rest, the, the overall implications here? I mean, will one stay, uh, hold it, or when you have a split, is that when we'll see the Supreme Court step in? 
Well, that will depend, of course, on whether the stays are issued as a nationwide stay. But, Tony, I can tell you've been watching this stuff for a long, long time. Uh, the fact of the matter is when there is a split between circuit courts of appeal, the Supreme Court is much more likely to pick it up. And given this uh, fascination with using executive power to accomplish legislative ends, I think it's very likely that the Supreme Court will eventually pick this case up. I just don't know if we'll get there by January. So, Attorney General uh, Yost, those workers that are out there, you described the, the ones that are out there that are, you know, they're, they're the ones that are actually showing up to work right now. Uh, those that have not decided just to, to, you know, let the government pay them to stay home, but they're out there working, they're showing up. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for those that are coming to work and, 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 you know, being a productive part of society. But now they're looking at this, this mandate. What hope can you give them? That their rights will be protected and they won't be forced to do something or inject something into their body that they have opposition to? Look, uh, I and my colleagues across the country have been working on this for a couple of months. We're ready to go. We're going to go to court uh, and attack this on multiple fronts. Um, I feel I can't guarantee anything in litigation, but I feel very comfortable that we will get relief from the courts against this unconstitutional and illegal overreach by the president of the United States. Well, I can, I for one can say this, but I think I speak for many. Uh, I am extremely grateful, probably more than ever, for Republican attorney generals who are defending, they're really on the front lines defending the Constitution and our freedoms. And so, uh, General, I thank you for your work and thank you for uh, your collaborative effort with your colleagues across the nation. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you, Tony. And if I might, Thank you to all of your viewers who are praying for our country. Um, it means a lot to those of us that are out there doing this work. Absolutely. And they will continue, I'm sure. General, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, you heard that. Number one, we need to be praying. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. And fortunately, we do have the state attorneys general that are fighting the, this overreach from the federal government. And, and you need to encourage. In fact, this is a great time to encourage your attorney general. Uh, if you're in a state that has a Republican, thank them for taking this stand. If you've got a Republican governor, encourage them to take a stand. Your Republican legislators, and even reach out to your Democrats. Put, don't let them get a pass. Let them know that you expect them to defend your constitutional rights. And again, I go back to what I said earlier. I think you need to make a decision about the vaccine. This really is not about the vaccine. This is about the mandate. Uh, if, if you're in a high-risk category, I would encourage you to have that conversation with your doctor. Get the vaccine if you need it, uh, the shot. Um, you make that decision. But I am 100 percent opposed to this government overreach in these mandates. All right. That said, I want to transition back to the issue of Virginia and education and what transpired on Tuesday in Virginia, because it has rocked the political world. Joining me now to talk about this is Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good You're be becoming a again. regular here. Yeah, not everybody has me back two days in a yeah, row. Yeah, so I, I might, let you, I might let you host. Who knows? All right. Let's talk about first, let's talk about um, 
the role of evangelicals, and I know that term, we don't really like that term. We like the SAGECON, the spiritually active governance engaged, because it's more just a more accurate description, but the media uses evangelicals. Let's talk about it. What role did they play? Very, very significant role. Um, if you look at different breakdowns from some of the exit polls of, uh, say, white evangelicals, 76% um, of them voted for Glenn Youngkin on, on Tuesday. And 76%, that's over three quarters of, the, uh, of, of that segment. That's a massive, massive swing one way. And um, education has gotten a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of attention in the Virginia races. Is rightly so, huge issue. But let's not forget the other issues that were important in, in such that uh, big of a, a segment going towards Glenn Youngkin. If you look at the life issue, very important. Terry McAuliffe was absolutely extreme on that position. He campaigned in an abortion clinic. He actively campaigned at a abortion clinic. He was Now juxtapose the- Glenn Youngkin, who went to a church, spoke at a church. In fact, it was at our event at the Pray Vote Stand and was at the, the same right. church that following Sunday at uh, Calvary Chapel or uh, Cornerstone Chapel. Um, but then you have uh, Terry McAuliffe campaigning at an abortion clinic. I mean, that's that's a picture. Huge, huge difference. Glenn Youngkin supported policies like the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, uh, uh, not giving our taxpayer dollars to Planned Parenthood, you know, the nation's largest abortion provider. Terry McAuliffe was given the opportunity to name one restriction on abortion that he supported. Couldn't name one. Yeah. So that's a big difference. And I had those conversations actually with uh, with Glenn and uh, I believe he's absolutely committed to to life, he is going to be a pro-life That's governor. Right. Now, right. I, I want to go to the back to this issue of the evangelicals for just a moment uh, before we run out of time. But th- the intensity was with the. Uh, Youngkin voters, not the McCullough voters. That's right, Tony. And, and that got measured because uh, of the extensive early voting period, 45 days. We had different polls coming up at different times. But uh, especially the closer that we got to Election Day, there was a huge uh, difference. We're, we're talking double-digit gaps in the people that say, I'm excited to vote for Young, Glenn Young, Youngkin versus uh, excited to vote for Terry okay. In we we I, we th- I think we talked about this uh, several weeks ago. Maybe we didn't. So maybe this is the first time I'm talking about it. But Virginia changed their election laws. Uh, I think last year was it last year, or year before. Yeah, I, I think it maybe was uh, 2019. Okay, if they, I remember they right. changed their election laws to be very similar to California to allow for ballot harvesting, something that we you know don't like. It's a mm-hmm. bad idea. But since they did it. Uh, we took uh, kind of a cue from uh, California where churches did it in California. In fact, we helped some churches do it to do ballot collection. And so we actually had a number of churches in Virginia that we uh, held a conference for pastors, brought them in, taught them how to do it. And so we had a number of churches that did ballot collection in this election. Talk about that. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, the uh, the election laws in Virginia, there have been many changes over the last couple of years. And so um, did a lot of work, a uh, lot of people to let people know, let churches know, let pastors know, what does the law say now? And we know of a number of churches that took advantage of that, um, walking through that, 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 that uh, process, you know, um, saying you can, you can fill out a form 
you can request a ballot. That ballot will get you. You, you can bring it in and, uh, you know, and, and kind of uh, vote together, if you will. And uh, a lot of churches um, utilized that to, to get their people involved, you know, saying, what are the legal options here? We want to take advantage of whatever those are to get as many people to the polls as, as, as we can. Yeah, I, my, my view is we use that. Not, we're not particularly crazy about it. It's something that the left put in to try to liberalize, uh, liberalize the, uh, the election laws. But look, they put it there. Uh, let's use it mm-hmm. uh, uh, by the book. I think actually if we use it, and as we saw in California, they use it very successfully, the left's going to want to get rid of it. Uh, and we can go back to, uh, to to the way that we did elections before. Yeah, very very good chance of that. Lots, lots like you said, Tony, of, of changes to election law. And um, it's just so important for people to be uh, up to speed on yeah. what, what are you able to do. Yeah, and uh, we had a, the other thing, just uh, we're not going to have time to talk about education. We're going to do that next week. But poll watchers, mm-hmm. a record number of yes. poll watchers that came out in Virginia. Yes, Tony, this was so significant. We literally had thousands of people volunteering to become poll watchers, not just on Election Day, all the way through the early voting period. We had uh, some of these deep blue North uh, Virginia counties saying uh, conservatives are outnumbering liberal poll watchers two to one. That is the yes. that's a part of the answer to the election integrity, the concern about elections is if yes. you're concerned about the elections, be a poll watcher, show up, and, uh, and of course, we've got to continue to work through state legislatures to change those laws as well. Yes. Brick Kylan, great to talk with you. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Great work at FRC Action in this, uh, this election cycle. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you again. All right, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. Hey, look, there's a reminder. You may have seen this great Christmas present, the Stand Mug. You can find out more about how you can get this for your uh, favorite friend. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, founded of Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.